0: Welcome to the A-Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to the sixth episode of the A-Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, on this fifth Sunday of Lent, known as Passion Sunday, I'd like to go over the following topics for the week. One, I think it's very important that I cover a little bit of Passion Sunday and of Passion Tide, especially since it's so critical as we go into these last two weeks of Lent to really enter it with the right mentality. Two, I'd like to address a recent article of mine regarding the worship owed to the cross. That is, I address the question, do we actually worship the cross? Do we venerate it? Do we give it dulia? Is it the same honor as the Blessed Virgin Mary of hyperdulia? Do we actually literally worship the wood of the cross with the same worship given to God himself? Those and other questions I go over. And lastly, I'd like to discuss just a few of the feasts this week. There's not many feast days this week. Uh, It is during Lent, so there's not a whole lot on the calendar, and most of these saints are not even commemorated in the liturgy in the 1962 missal, since the Lenten feria takes precedence. But it's still good for us to invoke their patronage, and the two saints that occur during this coming week are St. John Damascene and St. Juan of Capistrano. I discuss their lives uh, very shortly in this episode. But to begin, I would first like to thank CatechismClass.com for again sponsoring this episode. CatechismClass.com is the leader in online Catholic catechism classes, they offer everything from online K-12 through religious education for homeschoolers and for CCD programs, RCIA classes, adult continuing education in the faith, liturgical year courses for those wanting to delve deeper into the mysteries of the liturgical year, marriage preparation, baptism preparation for godparents and parents, confirmation prep, quince preparation classes, catechist training classes, and so much more. They truly are the leaders in online religious education for Catholics for anything you would want to study. So please check them out again at catechismclass.com. To start, though, I would like to go over the spirituality and a few of the things we're going to notice for Passion Sunday. So today on Passion Sunday, hopefully you've noticed, if you've already entered church and you're listening to this episode afterwards, is that the images of our Lord— And the Blessed Virgin Mary and the saints are now covered. They're draped in purple cloth. And it's quite uh, striking, actually, many people who haven't seen this before, to go in and all of a sudden all the images are covered, everything. It's just so jarring compared to what it was. And in fact this has a deep mystic meaning that we can learn about in the gospel so the gospel for this particular sunday is taken from the eighth chapter of the gospel according to saint john and in that it's one of my favorite gospel passages our lord is disputing with the jews and he basically says uh, that um about his mission with the father and at the very end of that passage As our Lord is talking about that Abraham has seen his day and Abraham was glad, he said, Amen, amen, I say to you, before Abraham was made, I am. And when he says that, he used the same I am, like God revealed his name to Moses in the burning bush, I am. So we don't have that same meaning here in English, but the Jews instantly knew what he was saying. He was asserting himself to be God. And for that reason, John chapter 8 verse 29 says, "...they took up stones therefore to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple." And what's very interesting is a lot of the church fathers, for instance, St. Augustine, I believe it is, teaches that our Lord didn't cower in fear here. He didn't go hide behind a pillar and try to sneak out of the temple. He literally turned himself invisible. He used that divine power, cloaked himself in invisibility, and walked out because his hour had not yet come. Because the Jews and the people who were supposed to receive him, the Messiah, Have forsaken him and they have sought his death because he claimed to be God. And for that reason, our Lord hid himself. And even in our churches now, he hides himself. And that is why we no longer see him. He has hidden himself from us because of our sins as well. So even in our own home, if we have, and we should hopefully have crucifixes around. We should have icons or or sacred images or statues. Those should be covered. Ideally, with a purple cloth, you can go to any really craft store to buy some purple cloth, have it cut, and drape it over these images. If you don't have that, any really dark cloth will do. Um, If you don't have that, just put it away. Put away your crucifixes. Put away your images. You will be robbed of even that image of God for the next few weeks. The few things that are not covered are, for instance, the stations of the cross. Those are not covered. But crucifixes are covered. And another thing not covered, if you go into churches and you see just basic representation of angels, you know, cherubs, those are not covered. But images of saints, of of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary, one of the saints, of our Lord, uh, different scenes from the Gospels, Those those are going to be covered, so... We need to make those changes in our own homes and teach other people to do the same so we can better live out the liturgical year to truly understand our Lord hid himself and went out from the temple. We should uh, also reflect that the day before this Passion Sunday was, coincidentally this year, the Feast of the Annunciation. Uh, but uh, b- besides that, it is also called Lazarus Saturday. In fact, this is one of the most important feast days in a lot of Eastern Catholic churches. So we hear it that day in the Gospel, and this is actually the Gospel read also the Friday beforehand, of our Lord resurrecting Lazarus from the dead, one of his greatest miracles. Lazarus, who was dead four days, he's called out, and our Lord proves once again clearly his divine power. And that was one of the miracles, really the final one, that when the Jews saw it, they said that Christ had to die. Not not they weren't convinced that he was God and they had to worship him and or follow him or understand him. Their greed and jealousy, that they saw him taking away what they deemed to be more important, Um For that reason, they said he had to die. So we think about all of these different mysteries in Passion Tide. One of the also the changes you'll notice in the liturgy of Mass is some of the prayers of the foot of the altar are removed and the Glory Be is no longer prayed in the Mass. One custom some people do in their own lives that is not mandatory, I do it and I encourage other people as well, is to stop praying the Glory Be during the Rosary. And instead, we can we can say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. Um, that is a prayer that some people add in. It's a custom. Something we might choose to do is adding in that prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or Lord Jesus crucified, have mercy on us. I've seen both of those used before. But try to strip out the Gloria, the Gloria Patri, and to further manifest the this real spirituality of Passion Tide, these last two weeks of Lent should feel different than the previous ones. It should have a different aspect. We should intensify our fasting as well. And next week in my episode on Palm Sunday, I'm going to be discussing some of that, how the church traditionally would make Holy Week a very intense fast. So look forward to that and think about how can you better live out and prepare and finish Lent well, as strict and as possible to make up for sins these past two weeks. The second topic, really related to this, actually, is the worship ode to the cross. If you go to the website of the Fatima Center, fatima.org, a recent article of mine actually asks the question, do Catholics adore or venerate the cross? And what's interesting is that it is a debated question. This question was actually taken up in an online article by a priest that uh, was published in 2011, and I read that, and he stated in part, quote, "...the theologian's debate as to whether we truly worship and adore the cross with the adoration of Latria. The Thomists, following the best of both reason and faith, maintain that we do, in fact, worship the cross with Latria." but others, tending towards a literalist reading of certain texts from the early church, hold that we do not worship the cross but only venerate it. The church herself speaks quite boldly, though, when she declares in the sacred liturgy that the cross of Christ is our only hope and directs us to worship the cross with the words Ecce lingum Crucis, Venite Adoremus, end quote. So he he goes on and basically, and I talk about this in the article, he appeals to St. Thomas. when St. Thomas says we do, in fact, worship the cross. That is the actual wood in which our Lord died on, that cross, the true cross, is actually worship with the same worship we give to the Most Blessed Trinity, that we give to the Blessed Sacrament, that we give to God himself. And some people might have a problem thinking about that because this is a piece of wood. It is a creature, and we are actually... Do we do give it um, a higher honor than the Blessed Virgin Mary? People claim Catholics worship Mary. We know we don't. We venerate her with the highest veneration of any of the saints. That's why the worship good, uh, owed to her is called hyperdulia, uh, the highest form of veneration. How we honor the saints would simply be dulia. So there's a hierarchy: dulia, hyperdulia. Some even say Saint Joseph is given protodulia, that is, first amongst the others of the saints after Mary. And Latria is given to God alone, true worship. What's interesting, as well as St. Louis de Montfort explains, that Latria, offered to the Holy Cross, is offered to our Lord, because the cross is inseparable from our Lord Jesus Christ and his precious blood. So if you think about that, the cross was actually completely stained and covered with his blood. The cross has since been um, splintered and spread all over the world you'll find many churches uh, throughout the whole world probably churches even in your own area have a relic of the true cross you could have venerated that you might have touched a rosary to the relic of the true cross before i know i've done that as well there's a larger relic of the true cross in rome in one of the famous basilicas there that is the basilica of the holy cross in rome and there's other relics there as well some of the relics of the passion as well as the finger of thomas and the sign that actually was displayed above our lord in the cross is there and i've seen those in rome amongst other relics at other churches as well but what's what's really remarkable is we do worship that cross that same cross in which our lord died is given the worship of latria and the church as a result does some things differently for instance i find i found an irish ecclesiastical record article from 1911 which stated that quote if mass is celebrated on an altar or um on an altar on which a relic of the true cross is exposed the celebrant is to genuflect when arriving at and departing from the altar and also when passing before the relic during the Mass. End quote. So the rubrics covering the celebration of the Mass actually change if there is exposed a relic of the true cross. And we should know as well if we've ever seen it a mass set in front of the blessed sacrament exposed, for instance, at the end of 40-hour devotion, has a lot of extra rubrics covering it. So that's something, if you ever see that, that that is quite more of a remarkable thing with a number of double genuflections needed. Um, Another thing to add, though, is that the true cross, for instance, if a priest were incensing that relic, it's incensed three times, not twice, like all the other relics. And a priest who exposes the relic for veneration is instructed to vest in a surplus and a red stole, except on Good Friday it would not be a red stole. So that's that's some interesting things. So please read the article for more information, especially as we're entering Passion Tide and we're going to be focusing so much more on the veneration owed to our Lord and his passion. Something for us that I've never heard anybody actually write about or explain more The worship really given to the cross and how that changes some of the church's liturgy as a result so again please check that out at fatima.org and i'll have a link to that in the show notes and the last thing just to highlight this week is it's so important i believe to really live a liturgical life which involves the different feasts and fasts of the church this week we have two saints worth mentioning one on March 27th is the feast day of St. John Damascene. Um, he was a Syrian monk and a priest who lived uh, near Jerusalem. Uh, he's known um, as well as St. John of Damascus in some records. You might see him called by that name. He was born in 645 A.D. and lived until uh, 749 A.D. Um, His life is, again, a life really replayed with with a number of miracles, and a good example for us during this Lenten season, so I'll have a link in the show notes so people can read a bit more about his life in detail. The second saint the day after is St. John of Capistrano. He was a Franciscan friar and a priest from Italy who was famous as a preacher, a theologian, and an inquisitor. He was a friend of four different popes. He reformed his order. He evangelized in Italy, France, Germany, Austria, Hungary, and Poland. So he really was quite well-traveled for the time. He was born in 1385 in the Kingdom of Naples. He actually became a famous lawyer and then was appointed governor, but at the age of 39, he ultimately left that and entered the Franciscan order. He famously led a crusade against the Ottomans at the Siege of Belgrade and the II had taken the city of Constantinople, capital of the Eastern Empire, and he was marching towards Belgrade. So Pope Callistus III decreed a crusade, and St. John of Capistrano preached it, and uh, in a number of different providences. He enrolled over 70,000 Christians, aided by the Hungarian nobleman, the uh, famous nobleman there, And the warriors went to battle not with guns, but rather with pitchforks. These were truly just ordinary Christians rising up, defending Christianity from the onslaught of Islam. And aided by the prayers of St. John Capistrano, who marched into battle really in front of everyone, the battle led to over 120,000 Turks slain in the retreat of Muhammad II, who was wounded himself. He renounced afterwards his intent to conquer the Christian West. So the victory of Belgrade in 456, while it uh, occurred near the end of St. John of Capistrano's earthly life, it was very fundamental in safeguarding Christian Europe. If that city was lost, there could have been significant consequences for all of Europe falling to Islam. So St. John of Capistrano uh, actually died that same year. He died on October twenty third, 1456 in modern-day Croatia. He was the chosen instrument of God for the defense of Christendom. And may we all have recourse to St. John's protection through our prayers, and may we join in penance as we continue our Lenten discipline. I wish you all a most blessed Lent and blessed Passion Tide. Hold to the fast of Lent. Hold it all deeper as you can for the honor of God and the triumph of His Church. Again, thank you for listening. Keep the traditional Catholic faith. Thank you for supporting A Catholic Life. Ad Maiorum Dei Gloriam.